Section 11 of The Major Symptoms of Hysteria. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Major Symptoms of Hysteria by Pierre Janet. Lecture 11 The Disturbances of Alimentation. Visceral Troubles, Hysterical Anorexia, The Description of Its Three Periods, The Gastric Period, The Moral Period, The Period of Inanition the frequent termination by death the theory of the fixed idea the diagnosis with the psychasthenic refusal of food the theory of anorexy through the anaesthesia of the stomach the part played by anaesthesia in the modifications of the feeling of hunger the motor agitation of the patient the different explanations of this fondness for physical exercises the suppression of the feeling of fatigue and the motor excitation the psychological function of alimentation the hysterical dissociation of this function the dissociation of the elements of this function the paralyses of the lips tongue pharynx oesophagus abdomen the troubles of the function of the bladder after passing in review the mental disturbances of hystericals their sensory and motor disturbances we shall now enter upon a rapid survey of their visceral disturbances these patients in fact seem to present great impairments of the visceral functions especially of the functions of digestion and respiration these visceral phenomena have always greatly puzzled physicians and nowadays they are still often opposed to those who want to give a mental explanation of this disease we must therefore insist on their interpretation to penetrate into the study of the mental disturbances of hysteria we shall begin by studying a very important phenomenon that of anorexia which by its character at once physiological and mental will furnish a transition between these new studies and the preceding ones one the words hysterical anorexia designate a disease both mental and physiological very long and very complicated which consists chiefly in the systematic refusal of food in certain digestive disturbances and in a consequent inanition this odd phenomenon was for a long time very ill known it was confusedly ranged among the other manias of those patients and their strange way of living without eating was often ascribed to the action of the demon or to that of god its accurate description is recent it was made almost simultaneously by w gull in eighteen sixty eight and by la in eighteen seventy three the article of la was the only one that had success and contributed to spread this new medical notion it led gull to observe in eighteen seventy three that he had already indicated these facts in eighteen sixty eight the english physician called this disease apepsia hysterica lasseg named it hysterical anorexia neither of these two appellations is perfect the absence of pepsin which moreover is doubtful has nothing interesting in it here the loss of appetite is more important but it is not certain that it is the essential characteristic therefore some subsequent authors wishing to emphasize the capital fact which is systematic refusal of food made use of the words cityophobia that is to say aversion to food and cityeirgia food repelling that is to say rejection of food or even of the words hysterical inanition which lasseg had also proposed the last words are evidently better but usage which is a great master has not accepted them and has even employed them differently it has retained the term hysterical anorexia. It is enough if we understand one another. This accident may happen in the course of hysteria after many characteristic phenomena which will serve for its recognition. 
oftenest it forms the outset of hysteria and its real nature is only recognized late many cases have been cited in adult and young men but it cannot be denied that it is infinitely more frequent in women a case has been cited at the age of eleven Kissel. i have observed one in a little girl of nine it has also been recognized in a woman of thirty-eight lately i studied a very distinct case in a woman of forty but it was an old accident which reappeared it must be acknowledged that these ages are quite exceptional the greatest number of cases by far nine out of ten are to be met with in girls of sixteen to twenty-three or twenty-five at most it is one of the facts of the special pathology of the girl of eighteen you should never forget it when in presence of a patient of this age that affection which seizes the girl of eighteen is a chronic one it is a disease that never lasts less than eighteen months to two years and often continues for ten years the result is that it goes through different periods which Lasseg reduced rightly enough to three principal ones the first period might be called the gastric period for everybody fancies that the disease consists simply in an affection of the stomach and behaves accordingly the beginning which is not always easy to know often coincides with a slight more or less real affection of the stomach more often it is again the consequence of an emotion mu for instance a girl of nineteen of whom i often think when speaking to you of anorexia presented her first gastric disturbances after the death of her brother who succumbed rapidly to pulmonary phthisis the patients complain of various and vague sufferings which they connect with their digestion then come consultations on consultations and of course a lot of absurd diagnoses and ridiculous medicines it is thought quite natural that the girl whose stomach is diseased should be careful of what she eats her medical attendants would even be inclined to prescribe to her a still stricter diet she resigns herself to everything and shows herself a patient of exemplary docility moreover save for vaguer and vaguer pains in her stomach she seems to enjoy perfect health her tongue is clean her stomach and abdomen normal the only thing she may suffer from is obstinate constipation usually after a long time begins the second period the moral period or period of struggling the family at length become disquieted at the indefinite prolongation of these treatments and ultra-strict diets which do not seem very well justified they suspect hypochondriac ideas and obstinacy and their attitude becomes quite modified now they try to allure the patient by all possible delicacies of the table they scold her severely they alternately spoil beseech threaten her the excess of the insistence causes an exaggeration of the resistance the girl seems to understand that the least concession on her part would cause her to pass from the condition of a patient to that of a capricious child and to this she will never consent all the relatives and friends interfere by turns to try what their authority and influence may do la Segue has well described those distressed families who all day and to the first comer speak mournfully of the girl's food it's all of no use the disease develops more and more under the influence of these surroundings now the girl scarcely ever speaks of her pains in the stomach but she repeats that she will eat when she is hungry and that she is never hungry that she does not need more food that she can very well live indefinitely in that way that moreover she has never felt better in fact she seems to be in very good health and shows much strength and activity she has even a greatly exaggerated physical and moral activity to which we shall have to revert for the fact is very important supported by this conviction our strange patient struggles with all those around her by every possible means 
she seeks a support in one of her parents against the other she promises to do wonders if her family is not too exacting she has recourse to every artifice and to every untruth it is the period when such patients hide victuals in their pockets fill their cheeks and throat with them to go and spit them out in the lavatory when they learn to vomit immediately what they have just swallowed etc lastly comes on sooner or later but sometimes only after years the third period called period of inanition organic disturbances begin to appear the breath is foul the stomach and abdomen are retracted there is an insuperable constipation the urine is scarce and contains little urea only three grams instead of thirty grams with one of my patients the skin becomes dry pulverulent and in certain places as on the wrists and forehead cracked and covered with pimples the pulse becomes very quick between one hundred and one hundred and twenty the breathing is short and hurried you hear cardiac and arterial breaths lastly the extenuation which the parents best observe makes surprising progress it is a clinical fact which one must well remember that weight is not a reliable sign of the progress of the disease for after a rather great decrease at the outset it is only at the end and often too late that it falls suddenly matters have changed then the patients who no longer leave their beds remain in a semi-delirious semi-comatose condition at this stage they behave in two different ways some continue to be delirious and as charcot said have but one idea left namely to refuse to eat others fortunately begin to be frightened this was what la Segue expected because of a singular therapeutic dignity he judged that the physician was not justified in doing anything before at that moment he resumed his authority and according as the patient yielded completely or partially which latter case was the more frequent he cured her more or less completely in fact the hysterical is privileged in this respect you know that the dog cannot be called back to life when it has lost forty per cent of its weight the hysterical can still be saved at fifty and above there is a limit however out of his eight cases la Segue had not one death the number of deaths since then cannot be numbered i know three for my part it is the melancholy period when those poor girls ask to eat and it is too late it is true that things generally take another turn and an intercurrent disease comes on bronchopneumonia or almost thysis which simplifies the situation such is the general history of this strange mental disease its gravity its frequency the regularity of its evolution whatever may be the intelligence of the subject show that it is due to a deep psychological disturbance of which the refusal of food is but the outer expression two this disturbance of thought is fairly well known in its details and evolution but it is certainly very difficult to interpret and various theories of anorexia give the preeminence to one or the other of the essential phenomena la Segue, and later on charcot gave the preeminence to a delirious disturbance to a fixed idea the disease consists essentially in an idea of which the patient is perfectly conscious though she often conceals it and which has for consequence the voluntary and calculated refusal of food some are over anxious about their stomach apprehend the pains provoked by digestion or simply fear the sensation of a ball in their oesophagus others have scruples regret to eat the flesh of living animals are ashamed to eat when too many poor people have not sufficient food i knew a girl of eighteen who died in consequence of her abhorrence of turnips which she had contracted when at school to the end she refused to eat anything saying that everything smelt of turnips very often they simply have the commonplace idea of suicide for some reason or other these girls make up their minds to die because of a thwarted marriage a reproach for having quarrelled with a friend etc 
and in their innocence they adopt starvation for their mode of death judging it to be a simple clean not very painful process which will arouse nobody's suspicion the following observation of charcot is famous while undressing a patient of this kind he found that she wore on her skin fastened very tight around her waist a rose-coloured ribbon he obtained the following confidence the ribbon was a measure which the waist was not to exceed i prefer dying of hunger to becoming big as mamma coquetries of this kind are very frequent one of my patients refused to eat for fear that during her digestion her face should grow red and appear less pleasant in the eyes of a professor whose lectures she attended after her meals the authors who have observed such ideas seem to me to be inclined to exaggerate their importance this is what certainly happened to charcot who used to seek everywhere for his rose-coloured ribbon and the idea of obesity i believe there is on this point a diagnosis to be made on which i have much insisted in the first volume of my work on obsessions refusals of food are not always a phenomenon of the hysterical neurosis they belong at least as often to the psychasthenic neurosis it is in the latter neurosis that fixed ideas remain alone and play a predominant role to the end these patients will be recognized by the absence of other psychological disturbances associated with the fixed idea in particular they have no real anorexia they have retained the feeling of hunger and they often submit to veritable tortures in order not to yield to their need of food these patients make it a point of honor not to yield at least before others and this accounts for an odd fact often indicated in their history after having all day refused the food offered to them they get up at night secretly and steal dirty victuals so that one must always be careful to leave food within their reach as they have no real loss of the feeling of hunger so they have no real anaesthesia either in their mouth or in their epigastrium lastly they do not present that excessive need of movement the importance of which i have already indicated in real hysterical anorexies in the latter in fact the fixed idea which existed at the outset it is true and played a certain role for a while becomes complicated with very serious phenomena as the loss of appetite the anaesthesia of various organs certain phenomena of systematic paralysis of the acts relating to alimentation and the great motor agitation i believe therefore that one should distinguish real hysterical anorexia from those refusals to eat brought on by various obsessions and in particular by obsessions of scruples in various psychasthenics therefore other theories tried to take these new phenomena into account and this is done in particular by a theory which is nowadays pretty widespread the theory of anorexia through the anaesthesia of the stomach besides the anorexies due to delirious ideas relating to illness to pudicity to obesity it has been asked whether there do not exist anorexies brought about by disturbances of the organic sensibility they would then justify their name and be above all losses of the sensation of hunger this already old thesis which was indicated by magnetizers such as depin in 1840 has been chiefly developed through studies on metallotherapy carried on especially by burke 1875 to 1882 since then it has been systematized and exaggerated by Solier. Anesthesia, Burk once said, exercises a preponderant influence on all the other symptoms, in particular on the disturbances of alimentation and on the secretions. His great argument was that he could cause these anesthesias to vanish through the use of the metallic plates and armatures he had contrived, and that he then saw the hysterical phenomena, anorexia in particular, disappear. There is much truth in these remarks first of all we must recognize in anorexia when already well settled and of decidedly hysterical nature the existence of numerous anesthesias 
they are observed in the mouth on the tongue on the internal face of the cheeks in the esophagus at the same time may be noted the absolute anaesthesia of the special senses of taste and smell you know that the patients especially at the outset of their disease want to have raw aliments and ask for salt and vinegar in order to give some taste to their food and that later on they complain that they are given sand or earth to eat you also know that some of them do not feel the food in their mouths it is not rare to observe at the same time the anaesthesia of the lower part of the digestive tube of the anus and of the rectum the anaesthesia of the stomach itself and of the small intestine is the more difficult to establish as the sensibility of these organs is commonly very obtuse but it is highly probable many subjects do not feel too hot or too cold food descend into their stomachs moreover you have already seen a very curious law indicated by m gilles de la tourette namely that often in hysteria superficial anaesthesia of the skin accompanies the anaesthesia of the organs placed under it now in hysterical anaesthesia a patch of cutaneous insensibility is often recognized seated just in the epigastric region it is probable therefore that the mucous membrane of the stomach is as anaesthetic as that of the mouth do these various anaesthesias seated in all the parts of the digestive tube play a role in the disturbances of the functions of alimentation the thing seems to me very likely the fine studies of physiologists in particular those of m pavlov have shown that the saliva secreted by a dog varies with the object presented to him with the taste and smell of that object they have shown that the secretions of the stomach and of the intestine were in connection with the sensation of the food in the various parts of the digestive tube since these patients feel neither taste nor smell nor any excitation of the mucous membrane of their stomachs it is very likely that their digestion will be disturbed a physician even tried to go still further you know that the anaesthesias of hystericals are mobile that it is possible through various processes to cause them to disappear and to reappear this physician thought he recognized at least in one case that the secretion of the gastric juice was very different according as the subject felt or did not feel in his esophagus and in his stomach from these remarks results a new conception of the disease it is the gastric anaesthesia which is here the great culprit while the sensation of the movements and of the secretions of the stomach is the starting point of the feeling of appetite the immobility and insensibility of the stomach bring on complete anorexia and all the delirious ideas which are considered here as secondary there is some truth in this conception but it does not seem to me to be complete first of all the anaesthesia of hystericals is never complete and does not do away with the reflexes we have already studied this point if food is introduced by force with the sound into the stomach of the most anorexic hysterical if you prevent immediate vomiting you will recognize that the digestion perhaps somewhat slow at the beginning comes to be completely effected and in the most normal way this m henry francais has just shown again in his thesis on apepsy which he maintained this year so psychic insensibility does not play here a considerable material part supposing the anaesthesia of the stomach should do away with the appetite it would not make the patients incapable either of eating or of digesting in my opinion an exaggerated importance is ascribed to the role played by these local phenomena of the mouth and stomach in the general feeling of hunger and in the function of alimentation animals that have been deprived of their stomachs still try to feed we do not always need a perfectly marked appetite to eat we often accept food out of politeness in mere imitation of others or because we think it reasonable when we do not really wish for it 
in a word these authors are right in adding more elementary and more general disturbances to the fixed ideas of hystericals they are wrong in stopping in this matter at the sensibilities of the mouth and stomach i wish a more thorough investigation might be made in this connection of a phenomenon that is as yet very imperfectly elucidated namely the excessive fondness for physical exercise that characterizes a whole group of anorexic patients this character was already noted by Lassegue. it is well indicated in a short and unfortunately very incomplete article of dr Wallet. the patient he says is exceedingly fond of long walks as she is growing thinner with enormous rapidity they are forbidden to her she then begins to walk from morning to night up and down the little garden of the house which was likewise forbidden to her then she plays all day at shuttlecock it is prescribed that she stay in her room there she gives herself up to violent gymnastic exercises even in bed she goes on with her gambols and somersaults for my part i was much struck with this odd phenomenon which most authors merely indicate without dwelling upon it one of my patients mu has had for years a mania of walking of at least as great gravity as her mania of refusing to eat she must needs go every day on foot as far as the trocadero and the bois de boulogne the carriage has only the right to follow her she tires the persons who accompany her if a limit is fixed of two hours fast walking a day she makes scenes about the calculation of the minutes no supplications or menaces can stop her walking any more than they can stop her inanition with a very singular woman who has periodical anorexies consequent on the least emotion the need of walking begins immediately with the refusal to eat it happens suddenly after the emotion she refuses to return home as well as to dine this character is at least as strange as the first the first explanation of this fact was presented by lasseg and by charcot and since then it has always been repeated without hesitation these patients walk too much and take too much exercise by virtue of a piece of reasoning they want to make those around them believe that they are still strong and robust in order not to be compelled to eat more i confess this explanation does not satisfy me many patients who spoke to me sincerely during or after their disease have assured me that they thought nothing of the kind moreover this exaggerated motion is to be found in aged patients who are left at liberty and whose alimentation nobody watches over another curious explanation is that which was given by m Wallet in 1892 the patient walks in order to grow thin in order to compensate with the exercise he takes the alimentation that is imposed upon him with this explanation we return to the initial idea of charcot namely that all these patients want to grow thin you know that it is not true and that if in some particular cases this exaggeration of motion can be explained by such reasoning it would be absurd to generalize the explanation i believe that the phenomenon in question is much more important and serious than these authors thought it is not the result of a little particular imposition it is connected with a very general disturbance this disturbance first comprises the suppression of the feeling of fatigue which is here much more important in my opinion than the anaesthesia of the stomach it comprises besides something that is very little known namely a general excitation to physical and moral activity a strange feeling of happiness an euphoria according to the medical term which are certain but very little studied facts the need of food goes with the feeling of weakness and depression persons depressed by neurasthenia are great eaters the exaltation of the strength the feeling of euphoria as it is known in the ecstatic saints for instance does away with the need of eating our hysterical anorexia is to be traced to much deeper sources than was supposed 
this is how i propose to you to represent it to ourselves without however pretending to explain it the function of alimentation if we consider it on its psychological side is one of the most considerable systems of thoughts that exist in the brain of an animal it comprises fundamental phenomena such as the feeling of weakness of depression and the fear of death besides it comprises numberless secondary phenomena such as the sensations and motions connected with all the parts of the organism that play a role in alimentation from the hands lips and tongue to the rectum and anus lastly it also comprises phenomena of improvement as the images of pleasant elements the habits of eating cleanly and the mixture of certain social phenomena that usually complicate our alimentation there is in the hysterical a dissociation of this system which may totally or partially withdraw from consciousness in complete anorexia, you will find the loss of all the elements i have just described the loss of the sensation of weakness replaced by a pathological euphoria the loss of the sensations of the organs but also more than is generally believed the loss of the movements these patients can no longer cleanly convey their food to their mouths they can no longer masticate and above all they can no longer swallow nor can they go to stool there is besides a phenomenon which has not been much noticed and which consists in losses of the social ideas of alimentation marceline was very amusing when she explained to me how ridiculous she thought the act of eating and how much she wondered to see people gather for this dirty operation hysterical anorexia is at bottom a great amnesia and a great paralysis alimentation has become as it were a somnambulistic phenomenon which can only be effected in the second or somnambulistic state as happened with the last patient this phenomenon is lost to the normal and waking consciousness three before concluding this lecture i should like rapidly to add a few details which it is necessary that you should know but to dwell on which would take too long the dissociation of which i have just spoken to you may bear on all the elements of which the function is composed and suppress them separately you have then kinds of paralyses or amnesias as you choose which may be connected with all sorts of organs it is needless to enumerate them you have only to follow the organs themselves the hysterical patient may lose the functions of the lips in alimentation as she lost them in speech she may lose the functions of the tongue or those of the teeth grant a little more attention to the functions of deglutition of the pharynx many of these patients can no longer swallow and they should not be confounded with psychasthenics who have the phobia of deglutition some of these subjects cannot make their food pass from their oesophagus into their stomach i am attending an old hysterical lady and do you know what my first care must be when i see her after her lunch it is to make her swallow her lunch which she still has in her oesophagus i am sure that the amnesia of defecation plays a role in many obstinate constipations what happens for the intestine is still more important and frequent for the bladder you know that hystericals may lose all the functions of the bladder or only some part or other of them nothing is more important for a physician than to know thoroughly the neuropathic disturbances of micturition he can render many services to unfortunate people and avoid many guilty mistakes how many operations are performed on young women under pretense that their urethra is either too big or too narrow when their urethra has nothing to do with their urinary awkwardness they can no longer either begin the micturition or stop it or control it and you have varieties of incontinence or retention that may become exceedingly complicated this rapid review of the dissociation of the functions of alimentation confirms my general studies on hysterical paralysis and amnesias and gives us the plan of our next lecture on respiratory disturbances end of section 11